This fall, as COVID infections were climbing and the election was building to a crescendo, I noticed a press release in my email inbox that captured my imagination. It was from the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle and included a picture of a fluffy tan hibernating squirrel curled up like a fuzzy cinnamon roll. The pitch was about new research that connected hibernation and innovative medical treatment that could help people experiencing trauma, events like heart attacks and blunt force injuries. But all I could think about was that peaceful little squirrel and I just wanted someone to put me into hibernation mode until the spring. I was intrigued. So I contacted the Fred Hutch researchers and learned the study and the lead scientist behind it, his name is Mark Roth, was even more compelling and unusual than I'd expected. As I tell people when they come visit me, I say, I'd like to do something that wouldn't be done if I were dead. I find myself reading a lot and looking at a lot of different things. And most of the time, I'm thinking it's an area that would be done if I were dead, and therefore I do not do it. But this was an area that held up to that test, so I have embraced it. The area that Mark Roth has embraced is about more than just squirrels and heart attacks. It's about people lost in the frozen wilderness and deadly chemicals. It's about what we can learn from that mysterious place somewhere between life and death. Mark Roth shares a story of his extraordinary work on this episode of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast is sponsored by Primera Blue Cross, providing comprehensive health benefits and tailored services to approximately 2 million people, from individuals to Fortune 100 companies. Learn more about how Primera is innovating in healthcare at Primera.com slash innovation. Mark Roth is a special sort of scientist, someone driven to go his own way, to do the work no one else will, to investigate questions others don't. That's literally his guiding principle, and it's working for him. Roth has been at the Fred Hutch since 1989. He is a past winner of one of the so-called MacArthur Genius Grants, and about a decade ago gave a very entertaining TED Talk on his work. I'm going to talk to you today about my work on suspended animation. Now, usually when I mention suspended animation, people will flash me the Vulcan sign and laugh. But now, I'm not talking about gorking people out to fly to Mars or even Pandora, as much fun as that may be, uh, I, I'm talking about the concept of using suspended animation to help people out in trauma. The core idea behind his research is that between living and dying is a gray area. It's suspended animation. Roth calls it pressing pause on life or playing dead without being dead. Hibernating animals experience it. Their metabolism slows, they consume less oxygen, they're colder, but they're not dead, and they can be brought back from it. This can also happen in people who survive frozen conditions, lost in the wilderness or in the wheel well of a plane. So I'm interested not simply in these curious 
um, examples of extreme survival of people. I'm also interested in immortality as it exists in nature. And the real reason why I decided to do this work is because there's a connection that can be made easily between near-death experiences and immortality. Both of them aren't doing anything. They're in suspended animation. And so there's something about a near-death experience, which is not so much near-death, but what I call a far-death experience. Actually, when we're animated and talking to one another, I think we're closer to dying than when we're suspended, if we're suspended properly. We just haven't figured out how to do that right yet, but I'm trying to help out. So Roth started exploring this idea of suspended animation and its potential health benefits. As it turns out, going back to Hippocrates and Napoleon, people recognized that the cold could help people who experience trauma. But Roth was interested in creating this condition without relying on temperature. So will you talk about what that biology is? How can you be in suspended animation and come back to life? Why aren't you actually dead when when you're frozen or hibernating? Right. So this is an active area of research for us. So what it comes down to is we can't study the anecdotal a patient who happens to get in the wheel well of a jet and fly to Hawaii from California. We just can't do that. Um, So I've decided that what we should study is people who have life-threatening events occur to them and then either live or don't. So we study severe blunt force trauma. We study people coming to the emergency department with sepsis. We study people who have COVID-19. We study people who are having, if you will, experiences that bring them close to death. And then we try to understand what they're doing and how that relates to whether they survive or not. And so that's, we make those correlations. He began with studies in animals in which he tried to mimic these states of animation. He found that he could deanimate and reanimate creatures from worms and zebrafish to mice by reducing their demand for oxygen. He did this by boosting their levels of sulfide and selenide, which are naturally occurring substances that we eat or breathe that are essential to life in low levels. It worked great. He could expose them to these elements, knock them out, and bring them back by returning them to higher levels of oxygen. It was a nice trick, but sulfide and selenide can also be deadly. So Roth turned to bromide and iodide, close cousins to sulfide and selenide, on the periodic table of elements. Bromide had already been used in medicine, beginning in the 1800s as a sedative, inducing deanimation. He wondered if in traumatic situations, our bodies could harness these elements in a different way than in normal conditions to help us survive. We've understood some things about what keep people alive. And one thing we've learned is that there are a bunch of different elements on the periodic table that are essential to life. And you eat them mostly, sometimes you inhale them like oxygen, but most of them you eat. And you store them in various parts of your body. And when you have a severe event, 
you either redistribute them properly, in which case you can get into your sleeping bag and survive the near-death moment. In other words, deanimate properly and then you can be reanimated, or you don't. It's what are those redistribution events? Can you define them? And can you augment them to make it so that people who would have been dead are now not dead? That's the goal. That leads to two questions. First, are these elements seen at higher levels in animals and people in association with suspended animation events, whether it's hibernation or trauma? And second, if you increase them in animals and people when they experience trauma, does it help them? The study that caught my attention in the fall answered both of those questions. To the first, the researchers looked at blood samples for patients coming into hospitals for trauma or sepsis. And bingo, they found a huge increase in iodide levels. And they looked at other life, Roth explains. The phenomenon of redistribution of these elements in moments of stress is not unique to people. It is broadly present in biology. There are a couple of places where it becomes very apparent that it's very broadly distributed in biology. One is that if you examine the blood of 13 line ground squirrels in Alaska, during times when they're hopping around in the summer versus when they're relatively speaking suspended in the winter, you see that they do increase naturally their iodide levels in their blood when they're hibernating compared to when they're not, when they're hopping around. So um, another place, which is very far away from mammals, is brown algae. So he's talking about the big bull kelp that you see at beaches with the long tube and big rubbery tendrils of seaweed hair streaming off the floating bulb. The kelp, which has the scientific name laminaria, contains some of the highest iodide levels of any organism. And they are the plants from which iodine was discovered as an element over 200 years ago. When a person making saltpeter for Napoleon ran out of the chaff of wheat to make potash and use the seaweed and then saw this purple gas come off, which turns out to be pure elemental iodine. So... When the tide goes out and the laminaria are exposed to the intense radiation of the sun, they get a lot of what's called oxidative damage, not so different than when a person has a heart attack. And sure enough, there's a redistribution of iodine that occurs to get the plants past the oxidative damage from the high intensity of the sunlight until the tide goes back out and they're covered by water. And that's been known for 20 years. And that leads us to the second question. Does the iodide help? The new research from Roth included experiments with mice with injuries to their legs that were given iodide. And in fact, they had better outcomes than those without. This built on studies with pigs and rats that came to similar conclusions. But how do suspended animation and hibernation and trauma all fit together? That's coming up next. This season of the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast is presented by Primera Blue Cross. At Primera, we talk about what we do all day. We offer access to healthcare. The card in the pocket allows people to go get access to healthcare. 
Dr. John Espinola is Executive Vice President of Healthcare Services for Primera Blue Cross. The challenge we have is that we know that the healthcare that they get access to doesn't work as well as it could. So we have a duty at Primera to make healthcare work better. That's our job. We give people access to healthcare, yet we give them access to something that's subpar. We have a moral and fiduciary obligation to do better. We're going to do it in partnership with those who may touch the moment of care. Providers, innovators, entrepreneurs, all of these are going to help us move in the direction we need to to make healthcare work better. We're bold enough to take the risk to try to do something that'll make a difference and learn from it and be better along the way. To find out more, visit Primera.com innovation. To understand the potential implications of suspended animation, let's go back to Mark Roth's initial excitement about the concept. It was around this idea of people surviving extreme trauma, seemingly dying and coming back to life. And then, this fall, there was a case like this. simply amazing. A hiker who got lost on Mount Rainier in Washington State is recovering tonight. Doctors brought him back to life after his heart had stopped for 45 minutes. Nepinski was unconscious as Navy helicopter pilots spotted him. The 45-year-old arrived at Harborview Medical Center in Seattle right as his heart stopped. CPR was performed for 45 minutes, no response. His temperature was 30 degrees below normal, and that sent his body into a kind of hibernation. Doctors put him on the ECMO machine, which functions as both the lungs and the heart, putting oxygen in the blood and taking carbon dioxide out. And it worked. Two days later, ICU nurse Whitney Holen called out to him. And he opened his eyes and I said, Michael, are you with me? And he like turned and looked at me and nodded his head and gave me a big smile. So it's the idea that a body or even an organ like the heart undergoes a traumatic event, goes into suspended animation or hibernation, and then when conditions are right, returns to life. In the case of the frozen climber or the squirrel, it's their whole body that is suspended. In the case of someone experiencing a heart attack, it's their heart tissue. I wanted to better understand what's happening at the biological level when suspended animation is taking place. So Roth took us on a journey through a heart attack. First of all, you know, when does dying happen? (laughs) And let me just walk you through the natural history of a heart attack in a human. What happens is you're having a good time, you're at work, for instance, and you're doing your job, whatever it is, and suddenly there's a blockage in your left anterior descending coronary artery, and this is the part of your anatomy that's required to bring oxygen to the heart muscle so it can function as a pump. And so because you have no reservoir of oxygen in your tissues, and because you turn over your ATP every six seconds, and you do this by burning oxygen and making water from it, then every six seconds, you have to have new oxygenated blood. Otherwise, your ATP levels will fall. You can no longer do motor function, and you can't pump the blood out of your heart. And now you start to lose governor function in your brain, and you fall to the ground. And then someone gets their iPhone out and hits 911. And then they call in the ambulance. And then if you're in a good place to have a heart attack like Seattle is, then there's a very short period of time between when medic one gets there and takes you to a trauma center. On the way there, they put a 12 lead on you 
and telemeterize the fact that you're having what's called ST elevation myocardial infarction, it's a heart attack. And so they know this. And so they're aware and they don't take you to the regular emergency department, they take you to the cath lab. It's right next to the emergency department. And what they do is they race you to the cath lab and they run a catheter from your groin up into your heart and into the place where the blockage is. And then they inflate a balloon, destroy the blockage, deflate the balloon and let the blood return to the heart muscle that while you were traveling to the, to the, in the ambulance, your heart muscle was in suspended animation, but the rest of your body, body was struggling to remain animated. So that's what was going on. Now, the problem is that when you get the balloon angioplasty, the oxygenated blood rushes back in. But what we know is you overplus. You burn more of the oxygen than you should. And insofar as you do, you partially reduce certain oxygen molecules, creating what are called reactive oxygen species that modify proteins and fats in your heart muscle. And they create abnormal protein and fat structures that are recognized by your immune system no longer as you, but rather foreign. And they come to attack the foreign heart muscle. And then in the next day or two, you have what's called heart damage or an infarction and your, your heart is forever less capable of working. So when oxygen is cut off from the heart, it goes into suspended animation and it's the return of the oxygen, the reanimation, where the damage occurs. This is a piece that Roth wants to fix. And in 2014, he launched Faraday Pharmaceuticals, a biotech spinoff from the Hutch. Roth is currently a board member and consultant for the Seattle-based company, which is testing iodide-based treatments on people. That includes heart attack patients. What we do is we give you a bolus of iodide to hold back your horses and prevent the excessive oxygen consumption, thereby preventing the damage that would result if you were overly exuberant as you would be without the iodide. There you go. That's beautiful. That's perfect. I, I, I loved walking through all of that. In 2019, Faraday scientists presented results from a study of 120 patients who experienced serious heart attacks and found that the iodide treatment helped. This year, Roth and other researchers will start another phase two study to look at the effects of providing intravenous iodide for trauma patients. They will also embark on a more rigorous phase three study of heart attack patients and iodide treatment, which will take about two years to complete. What are your thoughts perhaps on the risk that people would want to take this sort of prophylactically in a various set of situations? I mean, what are the risks at having elevated iodide on a, on a regular basis or, or sort of an, on a prophylactic kind of situation? Yeah, I would encourage all of your listeners to not run out and turn this into a nutraceutical and just start eating a lot of it. Um, there is a great deal of evidence that indicates that you can derange your normal thyroid hormone production by eating too much iodide. Um, in a short term, the trade-off for having you know a heart attack versus uh, derangement of your thyroid for a little while, it's fine. But to do this prophylactically as a person living in the world who's not having a heart attack, please do not do that. 
it would not be good. And I don't want to be responsible for setting off um, that sort of a wave in the community. That's important advice. But just in case Mark Roth's work in suspended animation hasn't blown your mind yet, I asked him for a preview of what's next. You know, I, I know that you're you're knee deep in sort of finally having this chance to um, you know, get these sorts of treatments into the hands of healthcare providers. Have you started looking forward to next directions of where you might take your research that kind of meets your clears your bar of if if you were dead and not doing this, perhaps nobody else would be? Yes, uh, I do know where I'm headed, um, and have been down the road a bit. Uh, it is so different than this, though it might be a bit jarring to discuss. I, I don't think I can sit in the suspense of not knowing, if you don't <laughs> mind, just, just a little teaser even to let us Well, know. sure, I can do it if you want, but you're going to recognize immediately that it is not the same. So it turns out um, there are a number of spontaneously oscillating inorganic chemical reactions that you can look on YouTube videos for. And when I say what they are, you're going to go, what? Um, one is the belyazov zabotinsky reaction. One is the Briggs-Ray reaction. And um, I believe that these reactions are the fundamental basis for consciousness. And I would define consciousness as what you're trying to do is take in information all the time and then integrate the information and then make best decisions to preserve your own life. For example, you're standing at a, at a, at a, on a street corner and you're deciding, can I cross that street before the bus comes and hits me? In other words, you're taking in information and you're attempting to make the best decision. Can I get there fast enough or am I going to be dead? And it's required you do this. If you do this incorrectly in the Darwin kind of way, you'll be eliminated. It's a Darwin Award, right? And this is called cognition. You do it all the time. How is it that you can do cognition so rapidly? And most people get caught up in neurobiology and in, um, you know, you can see things with your eye and your neurons make you do stuff. I don't think that's it. Fisarum and slime mold do cognition. They can do, you know, mazes and things like that. And they don't even have neurons. Cognition is occurring because life evolved around spontaneously oscillating reactions. And the spontaneously oscillating reactions, when they're perturbed, are the things that set off your ability to cognate. It's, it's, it's essentially um, a computer in, your, in, your, in living things. And that's where I'm going. And sorry about that. <laughs> I, I'm thrilled that you shared that. That's, that's marvelous. I, I love that. You're going to go somewhere totally different next. That's fabulous. I really appreciate your sharing that. All right, take care. Take care, guys. Mark Roth is a biochemist and cell biologist and a professor in the Basic Sciences Division at the Fred Hutchinson Cancer Research Center in Seattle. I'm GeekWire reporter Lisa Stifler. Read my story at geekwire.com slash healthtech for more information, links to his research, and a photo of that peaceful little hibernating squirrel curled up like a cinnamon roll. Thank you for listening to the GeekWire Health Tech Podcast. If you like the show, 
please consider leaving us a rating and a review on your favorite podcast app or tell a friend or a colleague about the show. See more episodes at geekwired.com slash health tech and subscribe in your favorite podcast app. Thanks to our sponsor of Health Tech Season 5, Primera Blue Cross. You can find out more about their work at Primera.com slash innovation. To see all of GeekWire's coverage of science, tech, business, and more, go to GeekWire.com. Sign up for our podcast newsletter to hear all of our shows. We'll be back soon with a new episode of GeekWire's Health Tech Podcast.